What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show from NFL Network and the Believe in Raiders podcast, Dennis Ackerman joins the show. But first, it's the opening drive. And welcome to the opening drive of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my esteemed colleague. He is a two-time Super Bowl winner, uh, the first defensive player ever drafted by the Carolina Panthers back in 1995 in the first round, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? Hey, Des. How you doing, man? It's always a great honor to Talk to the Carolina Panther hopefuls and the true Carolina Panthers fans who keep it pounding. And that's what the Believe podcast, that we're, we're, that's what we're doing. We're keeping the hope alive and we're keeping the pounding going. So it's an honor to be here with you, Des. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, we finally made it, Ty. We got all the way to through the offseason, training camp and everything else. We weren't sure if we were even going to have a season at one point. Um, we finally are here. Uh, Ty, I needed to mention, you know, the playoffs are going on. The NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL are in full swing. And our partners at Bet Online have got our fans covered. To take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on, there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. Sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Partners here with us at the Believe Podcast Network. Let's get into the opening drive here for this week, Ty. Uh, Thursday night football kicks off the 2020 season. Chiefs versus the uh, Texans. Pat Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson two of who many people consider two of the top three or four quarterbacks in the entire league uh, right now. I I wanted to touch on this before we get into our four things to watch, um, which will be what we start doing there in our opening drive segments and our our preview uh, podcast in the week. Um, The the one thing I had been talking about the past couple of weeks was my fear of the NFL putting on games with no fans in terms of the experience and how it would be. And I got to say, Tyrone, uh, I mean, the past couple of shows, you you have been adamant that the players won't be affected by it at all, that they'll be just fine. Um, I was more worried about the the viewer experience, like for us at home. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting here in my living room. My wife, had, you know, got me a 60-inch TV. I'm sitting here. So it's like my <laughs> little man cave. And I'm worried that, you know, that it's going to be a big letdown. I flipped it over to Chiefs-Texans after watching my Lakers uh, get past the Rockets and, I was shocked that, A, I didn't realize how much when the games are going on, how much you don't really see the fans at all anyway. Like, you just don't see them unless unless they intentionally go up into the stands to show the fans. The actual game itself, you don't really see the fans. Like, so they're, you're not, they're not really there. So you don't really see them. You just kind of see the field. And then they piped in noise at Arrowhead. Granted, they had some people in the stands uh, about – uh, about 15 to 20 percent, I believe. So it was probably about 15,000 they had in there. Uh, 
an arrowhead's a loud place when you have a capacity. So they piped in noise. So at home watching it, it felt like a regular game to me, other than the fact that, you know, the Chiefs were just, you know, laying the smack down on the Texans for pretty much the entire game. But uh, it felt like a real game, like a regular game. So it, 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 it kind of calmed me down a little bit in terms of what to expect as we go into this full slate of games on Sunday. Um, what, what did you think, uh, our first taste of NFL with no fans uh, watching the Chiefs and Texans on Thursday night, Ty? You know, like you said, Desmond, it was great to have football back in the house and pretty much live sports, period. Like you said, you know, you got the NBA playoffs going. Mm. And this is basically what we as sports fans, whether you played the sport or whether you just love the sport, this is what people want. They want the ability to work from nine to five and then get off that job. And, hey, let's go get whatever chips and dip. And they can just get back and get ready for the game. Like you said, get down in the man cave, baby. Yes. So yes. That, that's what it's all about. So I didn't expect anything different. Uh, when I looked at the game last night with the Chiefs and the Texans, the things that really make it go are the commentators. The commentators. And I think they did a great job. Uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, they did a great job of just keeping it flowing. And that's what we're used to hearing. And then the cameramen, the NFL cameramen, they've always done a great job of panning in at the right time, not staying too long in a particular situation. So you can see each part of the play, the players. Like there was a particular moment where Deshaun Watson is scrambling. And he goes over to the Chiefs bench, and, and the catch <laughs> he actually sits beside yes, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and, and they said, "Whoa, those are the two richest players in the NFL right now." So, you know, so those are the moments that really, you know, you can't write a script for that. That is something that just happens, and the cameramen they catch capture it, and boom, back to the football play, and yeah. So the fans they are important. Uh, the noise, like you said, they do a great job now piping the mute, piping the noise in. Where before it used to be a problem, but now because mm -hmm. of the pandemic, the, the less fans in the stands, it's okay now to pipe it in. So you still hear that ambience noise in the background when a team scores or they get a first down, or whether it's a big play and you're playing at home and the crowd got to get into it. So I thought the NFL did a very good job, and I don't. Uh, expect anything less. If anything, I expect it to get better because they're going to look at last night and they're going to figure out how can we make it better for this Sunday or the weeks to come. So I think the fans, those watching it on television, you're not going to miss out on much. You know, you touched on one crucial thing I thought about last night, and that was the, uh, the piped-in noise because really, if you think about it, in order to really kind of follow the flow of the game, you have to have a person there, almost like a noise DJ, like knowing when to, to you know, to pump the noise louder, when to bring it down. Like if you're the home team and, you know, you just got an interception to know when to hit certain levels of noise. And, you know what I mean? Like they, it's almost like a conductor. They're going to have to – those teams that have those kind of guys on the noise buttons – are, I think I'll have an advantage over those who are just throwing noise in there randomly because it's it felt like a game. It felt like a regular yeah. game, the way the noise was flowing, because that was my concern. I'm super anal about noise in particular being a sound producer, and I was just more concerned about that noise. People may not expect it, but it's a crucial part of the football experience watching at home. And like I said, watching at home, I had it up loud. You know, wife hated I had it up loud, but I wanted to know. <laughs> I wanted to know how this was going to feel. And uh, it felt right. It felt good. It felt like football. So uh, we got through the first one. Of course, Pat Mahomes went off. The whole Kansas City Chiefs went off on Thursday night. Looks like they got a steal with Claude Edwards-Hilaire, the running back from LSU. Uh, you know, the rich get richer. So, you know, we'll see who can topple the Chiefs as we get to, into this season. But this is a Panthers podcast, so I want to get into yeah. four, yeah, four things to watch. Uh, for our, our beloved Carolina Panthers as they kick off the, the 2020 season and the Matt Rule regime uh, get off officially Sunday 1 p.m. on CBS kickoff uh, at Bank of America Stadium with uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, almost said Oakland Raiders there for a second. Um, that's going to be hard to get used to. 
Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, no fans in attendance uh, will be allowed for mm-hmm. uh, Sunday's matchup. So, uh, uh, again, we'll kind of see how the Carolina uh, noise department handles that. Uh, this isn't a nice game, night game. It'll be one of the first kickoffs and everything else. Um, four things to watch. This is a, a brand-new segment that we'll bring to you in the opening drive on Fridays uh, when we drop this uh, this episode here. Four things to watch in Panthers versus Raiders. Um, I have two things. Ty has two things that we're going to be looking for in this game, uh, almost like a keys to victory type of thing. Uh, Ty, do you want to go first uh, with one of the things you're going to be looking out for, uh, Panthers versus Raiders, 1 p.m. on Sunday? Well, one thing I want everyone to really pay attention to is the Raiders, how and if they will be able to overcome the West Coast travel to the East Coast travel. Now, I say that because that is very important. Myself, once upon a time, (laughs) I played with (laughs) the Raiders. I played with the Raiders and uh, I played with the Broncos as well. So you can kind of consider them West Coast. But to Mm -hmm. come from the West Coast to the East Coast, the Raiders will be playing Yes, for the East Coast, it's 1 p.m., but for them, their body clock is 10 a.m. So since 2003, West Coast teams have gone 80, won 80 games and lost 131 games. So for all Carolina Panther fans, that right now is one feather in our cap. So that's 37% chance that a West Coast team travels to the East Coast and beats an East Coast team. So that is the number one thing that I want to look at. The going on to my actual two is just looking at the Raiders secondary, looking at the Raiders secondary against the Carolina Panthers uh, wide receivers. Uh, The Raiders secondary is young and they will be tested, I believe, with the speed of the Carolina Panthers wideouts. Now, what's going to be very intriguing is going to see how the return of Jonathan Abrams, Jonathan Abram, the safety. Now, he was a dominant force in that Raiders secondary, but he got injured. So my question is going to be, how dominant is he going to be? Will he be a player that the Raiders would try to sneak up to the line of scrimmage and blitz or when these when our Panther receivers go across the middle, will he be dominant? Now, when I say dominant, he got injured because of his physical play. So will he be dominant or will he lay off a little bit? And that will allow people like uh, uh, Adam, uh, we got DJ. uh, it's, It's like so many explosive guys on the Panthers side of the ball that run, yak, yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the people that I want to pay attention to. And if he's not dominant, then I think he opens up the door for the passing game. Uh, Mullen, uh, the other corner, he's supposed to be their top guy. So it's going to be intriguing to see how he lines up and if he is able to handle the assignment that he may have against DJ Moore, or maybe he's covering Curtis Samuel. But to the point, Mullen supposed to be the Raiders' best corner. And on the other side, they have a rookie. So will the offense go after the rookie on the Raiders' secondary side? So it's going to be the passing game, so to speak, against the young Raiders' uh, secondary to see how everything holds up. And also if Abram, will he be a dominant force? Hmm. He's a signal caller. He's the quarterback back there in that secondary. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Raiders secondary stacks up against the Carolina Panthers uh, wide receivers. And if the rate uh, the receivers of our Carolina Panthers can take advantage of the Raiders secondary. I um. I'm I'm interested in Abrams too. I remember him from two years ago in Hard Knocks. I really kind of liked him, and then he got injured, uh, didn't finish the season. Uh, so he's back. Uh, the Raiders have a lot of young talent. You know, John Gruden has kind of flipped this roster over completely from when he arrived two years ago. I did want to go back to um, and your first uh, thing to watch the whole 
think about a West Coast team traveling. Um, because I, this is something I want to know from a former player. Because I hear a lot of talking heads talk about while that's super important and that does affect those teams, that they don't expect it to affect the Raiders in week one. Does that even matter that they haven't played a game yet? Because that time, it's still going to be them playing at 10 a.m., regardless if it's week one or week 15. Does that make any difference at all that it's the first week that they're traveling uh, to the East Coast to play? Or will they still experience some, you know, it's weird to play football at 10 a.m. unless you're playing Pop Warner. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just yeah. – do those will they still expect to have that? Or is that just one of those talking head type things where they're saying, ah, well, he should be fine because, you know, they haven't played a game yet, so the, the, yeah. the jet lag shouldn't matter. I mean, is that just one of those talking head type things or is that legit? Well, what, what, what teams try to do, they try to leave uh, uh, in enough time to where you get acclimated. Now, they may leave on Thursday to travel – to the East Coast, but still your body clock is on West Coast time. Yeah, I've traveled from the East to the West. Now traveling from the East to the West is easier because you pick up hours, but going from the West to the East, you lose hours. So when you talk about the first half and the second half, you, you can look at it and there are stats that indicate teams from the West Coast that come to the East Coast during the first half of the season, the percentages of them winning is higher, but still they have a difficult time transitioning from the West to the East. Now, if you look at the second half of the season, now the season has gotten longer. The body has taken on more pounding as a player. You're a little bit more tired versus the first half. You're energetic. You're ready to go. So the second half, that percentage of West Coast teams coming to the East Coast drops even more that their chances of winning. So regardless, coming from the West to the East, I do believe it takes a toll and it does have an impact on the body because it's just like driving a car. If you don't warm that car up, it's during the wintertime. And if you don't warm that car up, then you can turn your heater all the way over to full blast. And you're not going to feel that heat until that thermometer thermostat opens up in that car and releases that heat. So the body, I believe, is the same way. Until you get it efficiently warmed up to the East Coast, you're still going to be on West Coast time. You're still going to be cold, mm -hmm. so to speak. I mean, all people got to do is think about when uh, when we lose an hour from daylight savings time. You know, it takes people's bodies sometimes a couple of days to adjust to just that hour that you lost <laughs> while you were sleeping. Imagine losing three hours uh, traveling across the country and then going back across the country later on, you know, a day later or whatnot. So it could be rough on a body. So we'll definitely check that out for sure. Panthers Raiders, 1 p.m. CBS kickoff. I can't wait. We're right around the corner from this. Uh, Ty just gave his two things he wanted to look out for in this game, the uh, the Raiders secondary and the effects of traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast. My two, um, the first thing I, I thought about, people have complained about uh, Cam Newton's accuracy for years um, in this offense. Uh, real quick, Ty, who would you guess has the highest completion percentage in Carolina Panthers history? Uh, I would probably say, if you're looking at the number, I, I'm pretty sure there has to be a particular number of attempts that mm. have to, you know, in order to come up with this. Yeah, so like 1,500 would, or something like that's the minimum. The yeah. For. I would probably say Cam. I would probably say Cam, even though people say he's, his, you know, uh, his throwing mechanics, he overthrows. Uh, but... I would probably lean towards him. Uh, well, no. Um, it was his his completion percentage. It's right around 58%. Um, and actually, I didn't realize this. From 2013 to 2017, he was the, the lowest rated quarterback in the entire league for starting quarterbacks for completion percentage over that stretch of time. Um, now, granted, from 2013 to 2017, you're talking so many hits, the 2015 season sandwiched in there where he threw for 60%. Uh, he flipped a truck. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he had injuries to his leg, injuries to his shoulder, injuries to his arm. So that might have a little bit to do with it. But the the leader in franchise history is actually a good friend of the program, Steve Berline, who was on uh, about a month yeah. ago, about 60%. I was going to say Steve. 
you know, because the reason why I said I, I was gonna say for real, I was gonna say Steve Burline because that's and that's why I said it has to be a high certain number, yeah, a certain number. And Steve Burline started for a lot of years, and Cam started for a lot of years. So the reason why I went with Cam as well was because of his dual ability to run and throw. So yeah. he would only throw the ball if he knew his guy was open, even though he may overthrow him. A lot. But, <laughs> but I figured he would take off and run if the guy was not open versus a quarterback who could not run and had to sit there and throw the ball away or or, or, or really try to overthrow the receiver. So yeah. that's that's why I, I said Cam. Well, so Cam is second um, in in uh, franchise history. It. Yeah, you almost had him. It was only a couple, like a point and some change, really. So uh, Steve Berline is number one. Jake DeLome third with fifty nine point two percent. The reason why I bring those guys up, Teddy Bridgewater has a sixty five point two percent percent completion rate for his career. He threw for sixty seven point nine percent last season with the Saints. So one of the things I'm looking for is a, a complete and total change in offensive philosophy for the Carolina Panthers from what we've grown accustomed to, not just with Ron Rivera, but before him, John Fox, before him, George Seifert. Like, I mean, it's always been run the ball, stop the run, play hard-nosed defense, uh, don't let the offense lose the game for you, basically. And the quarterbacks have not really been uh, asked to be uh, as accurate as we would like as fans. So bringing Teddy in and bringing him into an offensive system that he already played in, played well in, Joe Brady's over top of him. So he's, I've called uh, Teddy Joe Brady's security blanket because he knows that Teddy can do run everything in his playbook, whereas if they had kept Cam, Cam would still be learning this playbook and he wasn't accurate as much as he needed to be in this offense to begin with. So as more days go by, I start to see why they they dropped Cam and picked up Teddy. Mm -hmm. They'll never say, well, we wanted Teddy because he's more accurate than Cam Mm -hmm. and we could have got him for the same money. So they'll never say that ever. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of hear it around the edges when they comment on Teddy and him running the offense and everything else. So I'm looking at that and wondering, can Teddy Bridgewater – uh, become the most accurate quarterback in Panthers history. Like he literally has a shot to do this uh, just on the contract he's on a, a three-year deal. If he's here all three years and he can be just similar to what he's been in his five-year career thus far, he's got a great shot to become the most accurate passer in Panthers history, which is nuts when you really think about it. Yeah. But it's it's right there. And he has tools. He has weapons. Like I, I feel almost bad that it feels like uh, Cam was carrying this team with his talent and kind of a bunch of spare parts on offense for so long. And, the, and I mean, look, people need to go back and look at the wide receiver core he took to the Super Bowl. Like, no offense to those guys, but the fact that he got those guys to the Super Bowl, and they were the number one scoring offense in the league that year. If Cam had had Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, you know, that as his wide receiving core, I have no idea what that would have looked like. But I'm very curious to see how it looks like with Teddy Bridgewater uh, as we turn the page to this new, brand new chapter of Carolina yeah. Panthers football. Um, so go, go ahead, Ty. I would say this now for the fans as well. I want them to understand uh, because it's, it's not as simple as we make it sound. Uh, and for those who really understand and, and, and love football, they, they're, they're going to really appreciate what I'm about to say here. And for those who love football, this is something, and you probably didn't quite look at it this way. It's gonna make you say, "Hmm," kind of like Arsenio Hall, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hmm. yeah make you say, "Hmm." <laughs> now, most offenses that we see today, or probably all the offenses that we see today, come from, I believe, three types of offenses: West Coast, run and shoot, or Air Coriel. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go look at North Turner, if you look at his style, his style is similar to Air Coriel. Right. Air Coriel, meaning how uh, they played in San Diego. You had uh, uh, Dan Fouts and, and uh, uh, Kellen Winslow. Kellen uh, Winslow. So that offense, they used the tight end to stretch the scene. And that's what North Turner wanted to do last year. So that type of offense makes the quarterback have to throw the ball deeper. 
and the chances of completions drops. Now, when you're in the West Coast offense, and I would say Sean Payton, he probably has a little bit of that in built into his offense. It's one, two, three, four, five, that back foot hit, bam, that ball coming out. If the uh it's all about scheming, and if it's not there, dump it down to the running back. So the dump to the running back is an extension of the run game. So anytime you're dumping it off to the running back, your completions, your percentage is going to be high. So again, to give an understanding, just because a quarterback's passing percentage is down, you got to look at, or another, another quarterback is better, you got to look at the system that they're running in. It's just like running the 40. When somebody says they ran a 4-3 on turf, or a 4-2 on turf, and then somebody else said they ran a 4-4 a four, four on grass. Actually, I think the person that runs the 4-4, four, four, or should I say 4-3 on turf or track, and somebody runs a 4-4 four, four on grass, I, I would say that they're probably the same, or the mm -hmm. person who ran the 4-4 four, four on grass may be a little bit faster because grass is the slowest surface that you can run on. So I kind of look at that when I'm looking and comparing players i just don't look at the numbers i look at the system the way they were used to determine how good or bad that player may be because sometimes you get in the system it's not your type of style as a player so yeah yes you know those three types of systems that most offensive coordinators mm -hmm. utilize and pull a little bit from the west coast a little bit from the running shoot and a little bit from the air coriel and let's put them in the shotgun with the old tom landry back in the dallas cowboys where they did with roger starbuck so you know everybody pulls from everybody so what you see is nothing new up under the sun I could see this Panther offense being a hybrid of a West Coast offense and run and shoot because, you know, Joe Brady has mentioned, and if you just watched a little bit of LSU last year, they had no issue putting five wide receivers on the line of scrimmage, empty backfield type sets. So, I mean, with Christian McCaffrey, you can do that. You can line him up as a wide receiver or put him in the slot, you know, and scare the crap out of some linebacker that's going to have to guard him one-on-one -on -one coming out of the back or not even out of the backfield, just lining up man-to-man, -man, you know, with him. Uh, I could see that. Uh, I'm not sure with the West Coast offense, the tight end is used a lot, and the tight end on this team is Ian Thomas. Uh, so I'm not sure if we've seen enough of Ian Thomas to say that he could be a critical cog, but I think we're going to see a lot of three wide receiver sets, one running back sets yeah. uh, with uh, Anderson, Samuel, and Moore, with McCaffrey uh, in the backfield. And then they've got Alex Armand listed as a fullback slash tight end. So I mean, we'll see what they're planning on doing with Armand. I don't think they're going to run a lot of old school Dallas Cowboy eye formation, you know, mm -hmm. line Armand on the, the moose set and kind of go that. I don't think they're going to do that as much. But, hey, we have no tape, so we have no idea. <laughs> so they could be doing a little bit of that. So we'll find out some of that, too. Uh, the second thing, I was going to go towards the wide receivers as well. Um, they, but they kind of go along with my Bridgewater thing. So I'm kind of watching that group together, Bridgewater and the receivers, because they all kind of go hand in hand. It, Teddy can't be accurate if the receivers aren't catching it. So we'll see how they are. But my second thing that I'm looking for is the Carolina front four um, mm -hmm. on defense. They're extremely young. Brian Burns, the first-round draft pick last year, the defensive end out of Florida State, um, he'll be the, uh, the starter now at defensive end. Kawan Short, who's a, a team captain, they just nominated those this week. He's the elder statesman of this group. Um, I think Kawan is like 26, 27, and he's like the oldest guy on this uh, this unit. So he's back at defensive tackle. Uh, Derek Brown, the first-round selection from this year out of Auburn, who we watched three guys try to uh, get past him or mm -hmm. try to block him, I should say, uh, in the Alabama-Auburn game uh, last year. From all accounts, he's everything everybody wanted him to be. First round draft man, monster slash hybrid, you know, go kill the quarterback type guy. Mm -hmm. and, and he stuffs the run. So Kawan and Derek together in the interior sets up pretty nice for Carolina. And then Yatur Gross Matos, the uh the defensive end, the second round pick out of Penn State, who's kind of built like Julius Pepper, six five. 265 can put his hand down on the ground can move over to defensive tackle if needed um the, those four guys are going to be critical cogs in how well the panthers do because no matter who the coach has been no matter what year it is if the panthers can't stop the run they're not going to win any games or they're not going to win mm -hmm. a lot of games i should say uh the panthers have always been 
predicated on being able to stop the run. If they can keep the Raiders mm-hmm. under 100 yards rushing, Panthers have a great shot of winning that game. But if the if the Raiders get you know 100, 150 plus rushing, the Panthers are probably going to lose that game. And that really goes to any football team to me. I, I'm old school. Yeah. I'm more, you know, the run game will never go out of style. You know, we we just saw this Thursday night with uh, Kansas City and Houston. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the, the rookie from LSU, rushed for over 130 yards and had like two touchdowns mm-hmm. because Kansas City just kept feeding him the ball. And you would think Kansas City would be this, uh, you know, throw the ball 60 times, almost like a Houston Rockets type <laughs> offense <laughs> where they're just okay. slinging it everywhere. And that's not what they do. That's really not what they do. Um, they just have talent all over the place. Mm-hmm. So having said all that, uh, I'm looking to see if the front four of the Panthers can put pressure on Derek Carr because Derek Carr, many people don't realize this. He was a 70% completion uh, quarterback uh, per completion percentage last year for the Raiders. They went seven and nine. Um, I don't expect the Raiders to make the playoffs this year. Uh, but if the front four of the Panthers can get pressure on Carr and move him off his spots without having to do a lot of blitzing, then everybody can kind of stay home. And the Raiders may have a tough day, but, you know, the Raiders got some talent too, Ty. I mean, they've got Josh Jacobs in the backfield, Henry Ruggs, uh, wide receiver, both kids from Alabama, uh, first-year, second-year guys. So we don't really know a whole lot about them. It's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Uh, it's really just two teams kind of, I don't want to say rebuilding, but because Carolina Carolina is not rebuilding. I want to say that, put that on record. People keep saying, oh, Carolina's rebuilding. They're going to be a 2-14 and 14 team. That's not what they're doing. If they were rebuilding, they wouldn't have signed Robbie Anderson. You know, they wouldn't have went out and signed Tahir Whitehead to be a starting linebacker from the Raiders. You know, yeah. they, they wouldn't have done these things. I see those those transactions and look at it like they're they're not rebuilding. They're going to be competitive. They think they're going to be a competitive team all 16 uh, games of this season because I've never seen a billionaire that's going to walk around going, oh, this is a mulligan. This is a, you know, we're not expecting to do anything this year. We're going to, you know, kind of put it together, just get through it, go to next year. No, that's not how billionaires are made. Like David Tepper, Matt Rule, Brady, Snow, the the players, mm-hmm. I promise you, they are not going into week one thinking they are a 2-14 and 14 football team. Like they just aren't. Like there's too much talent on the team. Now what will they end up? I have no idea. I really don't. Yeah. Normally, I'm, I'm I can pick the Panthers pretty clear. I don't know where they're going to end up. <laughs> like I have no idea. They could be eight and eight. They could be five and eleven. It just it so many variables. It just depends. But um, I do think they need to get out early. They get out early, and you know, win two of their first three or something like that. Football's kind of feels like snowball effect. Maybe they can get some you know some of that rolling. And go from there. But if they dig like an 0-3 hole or something like that in the first month, then, yeah, then they are going to have a, a really rough time of it going forward. Yeah. And here's something else. You touched on this a little bit when you talk about the running game. I, I do believe the running game is important. But with today's rules, the game is built from the outside in now. And if you can run the ball, that's great. Back in the day, the game was built from the inside out. Now, mm-hmm. still, you got to run the ball because you can't pass the ball all the time. You have to be able to run time off the clock, and you got to be able to pick up that third and one, fourth and one, whatever the case may be. So the running game definitely is uh, a factor. But I believe the game is built from the outside in now. So that's why you see so much, uh, so many three wide receiver sets. But I want to go back and talk about the Raiders and their offensive line versus, like you said, the Panthers' D-line. So mm-hmm. Short, Brown, Matos, these guys are going to be going up against an experienced, experienced Raiders offensive line. These guys have worked together for – they were together last year. They're together this year. So when you have a team and you have an offensive coordinator or a head coach like John Gruden – to get anything going, we all know you got to have an offensive line. And with the Carolina Panthers being young on the defensive line, will the experience of the Oakland Raiders offensive line cause problems? Because when you have an experienced offensive line, you're able to pick up stunts, T stunts, X uh, stunts, uh, tight end, uh, uh, in and tackle stunts, should I say, TE stunts. Uh, so with Miller, who is the left tackle 
and of course brown the right side so you know these guys did a pretty good job and uh they're all five of these offensive linemen for the raiders are coming back and now you got like you spoke of Derek carr so with the panthers you know they got their young secondary with this offensive line give Derek carr enough time to where he can find the open guy and myself being a defensive back and i'm pretty sure any defensive back would tell you this you cannot cover a receiver all day eventually he gonna get open mm. so a max three four seconds that guy's open so a max three seconds in that route you probably can cover that receiver but then if you have four five seconds the quarterback to throw the ball i don't care who you are the guy's gonna get open and the quarterbacks are what make every team in this nfl work it's the quarterback so Derek carr he's getting his third opportunity third season up under john gruden's offense so how much of this offense does he really know and then like you spoke of uh josh uh jacob you know he a phenomenal running back and you mentioned the running game so it's going to be very intriguing to see how the defensive line of our carolina panthers are able to put pressure on Derek carr while trying to look out for josh jacobs and taking pressure off of this secondary that we have that is young and so it's going to be a lot of uh uh question marks and interesting takes after the game on sunday oh absolutely and uh we'll have a a short recap uh podcast episode early the, uh, in the week next week and we'll, we'll attempt to do those as the season goes on so we can break down what we saw in the game for you guys um it'll be basically just me and ty kind of just breaking down uh what happened in the game uh maybe some uh audio from uh the post game things like that just to kind of you know get through the week for you and get you ready for the following week are you ready to make a prediction on this game yet ty or or no well you know what I think I'm gonna make. I think I'm gonna wait until the last second. You know, it's kind of like gambling. gambling. It's kind of like gambling out in Las Vegas or New Jersey. You know, I'm gonna wait to the very last minute for the line to come in, the bet line to come in. I'm gonna place my bets. I'm gonna be sitting right there, right at the ticket office, and then three seconds left, I'm gonna drop it right then. This is my pick. So, but but you know what? If 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 Christian McCaffrey, and you mentioned him, if he can have a great game, I think he, the, the Panthers have the edge. But also the Raiders, you got to look at the fact Corey Littleton, he's their linebacker. He's supposed to be their fastest linebacker. Good luck, buddy, because he's probably yeah, going exactly. yeah, to be on McCaffrey. So, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good so luck. McCaffrey, I do know sometimes if you want, what's the old saying? To, to, to catch a wolf, you got to be a wolf. Right. So uh, Littleton, he's fast. He's quick, supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, a very quick and fast guy. We know about Christian McCaffrey. We know how he could break your ankles. So how effective will Corey Littleton be in trying? And this is if the Raiders try to do this, to line him up whenever uh, Christian is extended from the offense, where they say, hey, Corey, you have – you have Christian McCaffrey. Now, even if the linebacker is in vicinity of knocking the ball down, now Teddy Bridgewater is going to have to go to somebody else. And now that throws off that timing. So, again, it's going to be, I think, a great game. Nobody has had a preseason, so you can't look at no tape. This is why I'm going to wait to the very last minute <laughs> <laughs> and before I put my pick in because without a preseason, no footage, we don't know what nobody's going to do. That's true. And I, I will say we've got um, Dennis Ackerman. He's the host of the Believe in Raiders podcast. He's going to be up here in just a second. And uh, I did want to mention that our uh, buddy friend of the podcast, Joe Person over at The Athletic, uh, just put on Twitter, Panthers guard Dennis Daly is out for the Raiders game with an ankle injury. Uh, defensive end Stephen Weatherly uh, has a hamstring. Cornerback Stantley Thomas Oliver also has a hamstring. Uh, both of them are questionable uh, for Sunday. We'll be back in just a minute. You've been listening to the Open and Drive on the Believe in Panthers podcast. Coming up, host of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Dennis Ackerman, joins the show for us to uh, pick his brain on Raiders versus Panthers. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. <laughs> 
And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my co-host, two-time Super Bowl winner, Tyrone Poole. And we are joined by the host in the Believe in Raiders podcast. You can find it on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, He is a veteran of NFL Network. Dennis Ackerman joining the Believe in Panther podcast. What's going on, Dennis? Guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk some Raiders and Panthers with you guys. Good to be talking some football, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't think we were going to get here. We really didn't. And uh, now we're here. So super excited. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time kickoff on CBS uh, at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, uptown Charlotte. The Carolina Panthers will be kicking off the 2020 season against the, uh, I almost said it again, the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> I almost said the Oakland Raiders. It, it's really, really hard, Dennis. <laughs> it's really, really hard for me right now. I hear. Well, the last time these two teams played, the game was in Oakland. Uh, it was 2016, and the Raiders won 35-32. Derek Carr threw for a couple of touchdowns. And how about Khalil Mack had a pick six on Cam Newton? Well, luckily, we won't have to worry about Khalil Mack <laughs> coming into Sunday. I do remember he was a nightmare uh, back there in the Raiders' uh, defensive uh, sets there. Um, speaking of players, Dennis, just to kick this off, if you had to pick one Raider player uh, this season that would have the biggest impact, who, do you, who would you bet that on going into week one right now? Well, let me, I'm going to pick one on each side of the, uh, the, the football if I could. On defense, sure. it's got to be – Nick Kwiatkowski, the starting middle linebacker. He's an ex-Bear. They signed him as a free agent. Uh, It has been a revolving door at middle linebacker for the Raiders over the past decade. I think they have tried at least 15 different players, and they have still yet to find one. They are hoping he can finally settle that position in. On the offensive side of the football, it's got to be their first-round pick, Henry Ruggs III, out of Alabama. They've been looking for a speed burner at wide receiver. I think people were a little bit surprised they went with him as the first wide receiver chosen. Um, They're actually going to start two wide receivers on Sunday against Carolina. Brian Edwards, a third-round pick out of South Carolina, will be the other one. It's the first time they've started two rookies at wide receiver since 2009 when it was Lewis Murphy and Darius Hayward Bay, who was also a speed burner. Wow. Yeah, so a little bit of tribute for for you guys. So (laughs) I'm just curious to see, one, how they work in two rookie starting wideouts and what kind of impact can Henry Ruggs III have on this passing game because the knock against Derek Carr since probably 2016, they just don't try to stretch the field enough. Let me ask you, uh, Dennis, uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball with the Raiders. How impactful do you think Jonathan Abram is going to be? Not only this game, but just for the Raiders secondary. You know, the guys have Mullen back there. You got a rookie, I believe, starting on the opposite side. And I've been on both sides. I've been that rookie where I was starting, and then I've been that veteran. So we know that rookie is going to get a lot of balls. But Abram, he was injured. Now he's back healthy. You think he's going to be a big impact? In that secondary? Oh, I do. And I've talked about this in some of my earlier podcasts. I think he might be the key to that secondary because, as you mentioned, last year he appeared in just one game. He got injured in the season opener against the Denver Broncos. But if you remember uh, the Raiders on Hard Knocks, John Gruden was constantly having to tell him, hey, let's tone it down in practice. You don't want to hurt any of your teammates. I know the Raiders were very high on him a year ago, and I look for big things from him. I really do, because they are very young in that secondary. Now, Eric Harris returns. He was a starter from a year ago. He had three interceptions to lead the team. But Trayvon Mullen in his second season is one starting corner. But he became a starter about halfway through last season. I thought he performed pretty well. And on the other side is Damon Arnett, the rookie out of Ohio State. So it's a very young, very inexperienced secondary. But I do look for big things from Jonathan Abram. I really do. On the line with us, uh, Dennis Ackerman, the host of the Believe and uh, Raiders podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ackerman underscore Dennis. Um, I did want to talk about that potential of uh, Josh Jacobs and Henry Ruggs third that you mentioned, both from Alabama. Uh, Jacobs entering year two after rushing for you know 1,150 yards and seven touchdowns in 13 games last year. Um, describe the, the running style of Jacobs because he never was really the um, – 
the the bell cow like main ball carrier when he was at Alabama. He shared a lot of carries, so he was never like the Derrick Henry type of back. But it seems like he's excelling in John Gruden's offense out in Las Vegas. Uh, what type of running back would you compare Josh Jacobs to, and what do you think his ceiling is? Well, I think the ceiling is pretty high for him. You know, last year he missed three out of the four final games, and I believe if he would have appeared in all three of those games, Desmond, he would have been uh, offensive rookie of the year. His mm-hmm. 1,150 yards rushing, I think that was the sixth highest total in the history of the franchise for one season. He caught 20 passes as well, but his goal, he said, in the offseason, they want to get him more involved in the passing game. They're looking for – his goal is 60 receptions this year. I think that might be a little high, but he's the – bread and butter of this offense. I mean, John Gruden typically wants to be balanced on offense, 50% run, 50% pass. The Panthers are going to see a steady dose of Abram. He likes to pay, beg your pardon, Jacobs. Uh, they're going to see a steady dose of him. He can run in between the tackles and he does have really good breakaway speed. So look for a steady dose of him. And then for Carr to kind of sprinkle it around between the wide receivers and watch out for tight end Darren Waller. He is one of the best tight ends in the game. Last year, he had 90 receptions for well over 1,000 yards. But, but Jacobs is the key to this offense. As he goes, they go. Now, I'm, I'm going to stick with the offensive side and stick with uh, uh, Josh Jacobs. Offensive line, we all understand defensive line, offensive line. That's where football starts. But I still believe in today's rules, the game's is played from the outside in. That's how you win today in the NFL, but you definitely got to have that run game. So with the Raiders offensive line, these guys, they are beginning to gel and they have a continuity. They've been working with one another for a pretty good time. And I definitely believe the more an offensive line work together, the more dominant they can be. So how dominant do you think this offensive line would be in giving giving Derek Carr opportunity to throw the ball and Josh Jacob to run the ball against this Panther kind of young defensive line. You got Brown, Short, and Mato. So how do you think this offensive line is going to do? Tyrone, I think this is the strength of the football team. You know, Desmond, when I had you on my podcast, I asked you what was the strength of the Panthers. Mm-hmm. I think the strength of this Raiders football team is their offensive line. You look at the two tackles, Trent Brown on the right side. They've got Colton Miller uh, out of UCLA. He's entering his third season, and I know there was some uh, eyebrows raised, a lot of skepticism when they took him in the uh, first round a couple years ago, but he has played very well for the Raiders. And then you look at the the guards. They've got Richie Incognito has kind of resurrected his career. Gabe Jackson, who's been outstanding. And then, Tyron, I think they have one of the best centers in football in Rodney Hudson. I was looking at pro football focus, and I think out of the last three or four years, Hudson has not given up a sack in the fourth quarter. I mean, that is a remarkable stat. So, if you go back to the Reggie McKenzie days when he was GM uh, of the Raiders, I would have to say Rodney Hudson was probably his best free agent signing. The um, the Raiders have the, uh, I guess you can't really call it, the, the good fortune of being in the AFC West with the defending no. Super Bowl champion, uh, <laughs> um, Kansas City who, Chiefs. Who looked, who, man, did they look businesslike last night or what? Oh my How goodness. impressive were they? Yes, I mean, they are. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire may be the steal of the first round, and of course he lands in the lap of the Kansas City Chiefs and rushes for 130 yards and two touchdowns <laughs> right. in his opening uh, <laughs> his opening salvo. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to stop Kansas City because uh, now they've got a run game. Um, obviously, Kansas City's probably the favorite to get that one seed and that the only buy uh, now that there's going to be seven teams from each side coming in. NFC and AFC. The, finish this sentence for us, Dennis. The Raiders will make the 2020 playoffs if. Ooh, okay, a couple scenarios you have to look at. This defense has been, I, I'm, there's no other way to put it. They've been awful in defensive coordinator Paul Gunther's first two years on the job. Now, I guess you could say it's a good thing or a bad thing. They don't have any starters left over from his first year in 2018. So that year they finished 32nd overall in defense. Last year, they did improve to 24th, but they have a lot of new faces on the defense. We talked about the secondary. We talked about Nick Klikowski. Uh Corey Littleton, who was probably their best free agent signing. I mean, he's a linebacker who can run sideline to sideline. He can cover that tight end. He can cover the running back. They haven't had someone, uh, Desmond, of his caliber at, at linebacker since, man, I, I can't even remember when because the defense has just year in and year out been consistently 
bad. Um, and on the offensive side of the ball, it comes down to Derek Carr. I know you and I talked about you thought he was a little underrated last year. He completed over 70% of his passes for over 4,000 yards. But I think the knock on him has been since 2017 is he gets happy feet. He doesn't like the contact. Uh, he's too quick to check it down. He doesn't throw uh, beyond the stick. So with his new weapons and Henry Ruggs third and Brian Edwards and a very, very good tight end, and a healthy Josh Jacobs, can Derek Carr go back to the form of 2016 when this guy was a legitimate MVP candidate? The Raiders went 12-4, and four, and it's been the only time they made the playoffs since they went to the Super Bowl, guys. They went to the Super Bowl in 2002. In fact, that was the last time and the only time they've had a winning season since then. So wow. I think you have to look at the defense, and you have to look at Derek Carr. Is he ready to sit back in that pocket and be a gunslinger like he was back in 2016 i didn't even realize it'd been that long since uh, yeah. the raiders had had a winning record and i was a i was a fan of that raider team like i i grew up loving tim brown so oh I, absolutely I, I loved that team rich gannon mvp season yep jerry rice on the other side um that was the tuck roll year wasn't it uh the, thanks for bringing no. that up Desmond. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the year before so oh, okay tuck, i got okay so okay. the I'm tuck sorry. game My was bad. actually that was actually gruden's final game in his first tenure with the Raiders, because right after that, remember Al Davis oh, that's uh, traded right. him to Tampa Bay for, for all the draft choices. And it was Bill Callahan that, that uh, yes. got them to the Super Bowl. That's right. You're right. You see, I think that's um, a little misconception because Callahan was the one in 2002 where the Raiders, I mean, they probably threw the ball 67, 70% of the time where Gruden, Gruden is a 50-50 kind of guy. He, he always has been. And, you know, that's what he likes to stick to on offense. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, Dennis. Now, the a quarterback is only as good as his safety valve and a running game. Seems like to me, Derek Carr has all of that in place. He got Jacobs at running back. He got a great offensive line. And the question I want to hit to you on, Darren Waller. I believe that's going to be the safety valve, and I think – Derek Carr may have a great season this year because he has that safety valve. And anytime you have a tight end, that's always an unequal matchup for a linebacker unless you got somebody, like you said, like Littleton that can cover. But most linebackers are not like that. So Darren Waller may be that safety valve who will allow Derek Carr to be even more exceptional. So my question is, how has Jason Witten, what type of impact? Has he been on Darren Waller? What type of, you know, do you see a difference? And do you see a little bit of Jason Witten in Darren Waller when he plays? Well, I think Waller is one of the best tight ends in football. Unfortunately, the Raiders were 7-9 and nine last year, so I, I don't know if he got the due recognition that he deserved. Tyrone mentioned earlier he had 90 catches for over 1,000 yards. You know, he's a converted wide receiver. So, you know, if these rookie wide receivers struggle with Edwards and Ruggs, I mean, I'm curious to see if John Gruden would split Waller out at wide receiver, and that would free up more snaps for Jason Witten. Now, you know Witten's towards the end of his career. Came over to the Raiders, uh, signed as a free agent in the offseason after spending his entire career in Dallas. You know, how much does he have left in the tank in terms of on the field? Now, we know Witten's going to be a great influence in the clubhouse, but, I mean, he averaged less than 10 yards of reception last year. And they also have a third tight end, Foster Moreau, out of uh, LSU, who played very well last year. He got hurt towards the end of the season. So tight end is one of the deepest positions on this team. Now, it'll be interesting, like I said, to see if, you know, if they split, use Waller more as a wide receiver to get Witten more involved, possibly in the passing game, or maybe use him as a blocker. So Waller is one of those guys, Tyrone, you can line him up all over the field, tight end, wide receiver it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see what Gruden does in terms of in terms of uh, personnel and formations but overall talent I would put Waller up in the top five tight ends in the NFL uh Dennis did you want to try to take a crack at picking or predicting what the Raiders uh record will be here at the end of 2020 oh wow so <laughs> <laughs> I think you know I just think they're one of those teams where if everything comes together uh Desmond I could see 10 wins and remember this, guys, there's seven playoff teams in each conference this year. They've expanded it by one. So like you said, Desmond, nobody's catching the Chiefs this year. I mean, they, they're the cream of the crop. 
in the AFC West. Everybody else is going to be playing for one of those wild card spots. So, you know, in a perfect scenario, they go 10 wins, they get 10 wins, and yeah, they do qualify for the playoffs. If the cards don't fall where they're hoping, seven and nine maybe, and, you know, they hopefully go back to the draft one more time and um, add some more young pieces. But youth is definitely served on this team, guys. I think if you look at the depth chart, uh, 31 players are either in their first or second years in the NFL. Hell, seven and nine might be good enough to get in the playoffs with that seventh uh, seed being added in there. It's it's going to be a little different trying to um, – I think it's going to really affect the end of the year, the last four weeks of the season with there only being one bye. Because before, you know, the one seed and the two seed would both get byes, and it kind of affected the end of the, the year, especially if you were – you know, you already clinched your division, you know, you already clinched your seed – it kind of made it where, you know, teams started, you know, benching stars and stuff like that to try to keep them fresh for the playoffs. But with this, it's basically going to be a gauntlet for everyone except for the two teams in the league. And I think everyone's already given the Chiefs one of them. The NFC is a dogfight. I was trying to pick out who was going to go uh, to the playoffs for uh, another show I do. And it was hard on the NFC side. The AFC kind of took care of itself a little bit, but... The, the NFC side seems really, really tough uh, to pick seven out of. Um, and Oakland, Oakland's got youth. Oakland's got talent. And I'm not picking – this is really a pick em game to me. If it was uh, like a 4 o'clock game, I might lean towards the Raiders a little bit just because it would give them a little bit more time to be acclimated. But with it being a 1 o'clock kickoff on the East Coast, it's going to feel like 10 a.m. to them, uh, even if they've been there a day or so. Uh, no one has any tape on Carolina whatsoever. Like they have zero idea. There's nothing to look at other than old LSU tape or old Saints tape, sort of, or old Baylor tape, sort of. Uh, there's just no way to know how they're going to use all this stuff on offense. Uh, the Panthers' defense is going to be a problem throughout the season, possibly because of all the youth over there. But uh, if I had to choose between them right now, I'd probably give the Panthers three points right now. Okay. Uh, just a quick note on the early time zone. The Raiders have actually been practicing at 7 a.m. in Las Vegas outside. Ooh. Out, outside. Ooh, <laughs> outside in that. That's a little now, bit I, insider. Yeah, we didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so I know it's I know it's a dry heat, but I don't care, man. 105 or 110 is still hot. Yeah, it's yeah, still, it's, <laughs> still hot. I'm gonna change my uh, I'm gonna change my uh, selection back to a pickup. Because, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that they had been out there uh, early in the morning trying to prep yeah, for this. They um, have. I think it's, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to go, I, in my podcast, I took the Raider, I think, I did take the Raiders, but I said, you know, this one's going to be a lot closer than uh, Raider fans uh, are going to hope it'll be. I, I see the Raiders winning at 20 to 17 uh, in a very close, uh, highly contested football game. I, I, I will say, I do think it'll be a high scoring game. Um, I think both the defenses will not be up to par because you can only, can only do so much in training camp in terms of actual physicality and tackling and whatnot. So for, some of these guys, this might be the, lot, the first time they've seen live rounds, you know, since they got back together. And I think it's going to take a little while for them to acclimate on that end. The offenses will run a little bit better, which we saw Thursday uh, with Kansas City, uh, looking like they just stepped off the bus oh, from the Super Bowl. Ridiculous. So, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, uh, I think the offenses will be a little bit more in tune. The defense are going to take a little bit more time to lather themselves up. Uh, but I'm kind of expecting a like a – 31-27 type of game wow, okay. uh, where, where it's just going to be – I think Carolina's going to be in a bunch of shootouts all year, to be honest. So they'll be able to score, but I think they're going to allow a lot of scoring also. Yeah. I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I may have to lean towards the uh, Raiders, even though I told Desmond I'm going to wait until the very last second. <laughs> like they do at the uh, sports bet, the bookie. I'm going to stand right beside the, 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 the window. Until that guy starts to say, okay, that's going once. Last time, that's when I put my card in. I'll say, here we go right here. So go put it on the radar. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I do think I, I do think the uh offense of the Panthers will take advantage of the maybe the first quarter, uh second quarter, but once they go in at halftime, that's what these professional coaches get paid for. That's why they have personnel that they study so i'm pretty sure they're gonna go break down what the uh, similarities of the saints offense compared to what joe brady tried to do in um lsu and because everybody 
we're all creatures of habit. We could try to hide something, but at the end of the day, we are who we say we are, just like the late Dennis Green said, they are who we thought they were. So right. <laughs> I believe that the first quarter, if the Panthers want to try to win this game, they're going to have to jump out early. That first quarter, like you said, Desmond, nobody knows anything about Joe Brady's professional offensive scheme. But if he, if the Panthers are to win that first quarter, second quarter, score as many points as you can before you go into halftime, because once you come out of halftime, the Raiders coaches, they are professionals. That's what they get paid for. They're going to find out what you're doing. Now, he may throw a little wrinkle in, you know, third and fourth quarter, but he's going to pretty much stick with what was working. And if the Raiders defense can pick up on it, then I think that's when you start seeing the Panthers offense kind of get stalemated. And, you know, then you probably – because I, I think the Raiders offense is going to be consistent and they're going to be able to move the ball. So it's all about how fast can this young Panthers offense jump out there and score points. Let me ask you guys a question, if I could, real quick. Yeah, Obviously, sure. with the Panthers, a new coach, uh, new quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, the Raiders have a lot of new faces um, on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. Without any preseason games, do you think this one could be a little ugly to begin, uh, maybe the first quarter before the teams finally settle in? Yes. I, I, actually, I'm kind of expecting the first quarter to be sort of a <laughs> right <laughs> first quarter. like just, Yes. Because just, they, they haven't really – they haven't played played. I know we've all right. kind of like poo-pooed preseason. Uh, we don't need all these games, blah, blah, blah. But for some of these guys, they kind of use preseason to, you know, get in that mindset, I would imagine, get lathered up, get ready to go. So it's not a shock that first hit. Uh, but having said that, college football doesn't have preseason. And, you know, they're, they're just fine. So I think it'll come down to coaching with that. Uh, this will be a true test for Matt Rule. Uh, going into this week one, how well the Panthers are prepared to start this because they did run a uh, de facto, quote unquote, real game with their starters and whatnot the other night. And the first string did not look good at all. They didn't have any energy. They, they just couldn't get themselves up for it. And Ru Coach Rule mentioned it in the post game press conference where they have to do a better job of getting themselves up for these type of things without fans in the stands. So I'll be looking for that for sure to see how the starters come out for Carolina on the offensive side. Uh, if they start fast, if they can pop up, you know, a big play or something early with them being so young, I think that'll be contagious and will kind of spread through the team. But that goes the other way too. Say the Raiders do something, you know, first drive, get them down early, seven nothing. How does the Panther? How do the Panthers respond to early adversity, being down, and with their average age being like twenty six or whatever for the entire roster? So we'll kind of see. We're gonna we're gonna find out here on Sunday for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna say this here, uh, being a former player, uh, I, I don't think it's gonna be sloppy. And when sloppiness happens, this is why sloppiness happens. Whenever we go back and review film, and again, I'm equating this to the fact that there was no preseason. When sloppy play happens, big plays happen, there are two things that basically causes that. Communication and fits. So when you don't have the ability to communicate, the linebacker, middle linebacker, he doesn't tell the D-line to shift. They don't hear that. They're going to do whatever it is that they were previously called to do. Now you got the wrong fit. That allows that quarterback to have that extra time. And I think if you were to break down the Kansas City and Texans game, when the Texans look at this game uh, tomorrow, or if they didn't look at it today, I'm pretty sure they looked at it today, they came in and lift weights and everything, they're going to look at it and say it's communication. The linebacker was supposed to be in the, the C gap. He somehow or another found himself in the D gap. So uh, the sloppiness comes from communication and fits. And without a preseason, that's what you work on. You're working on communication. You're working on proper fits. So when the season starts, everybody's on the same page. So um, if everyone can communicate and get their proper fits, then I don't think we're going to see a lot of sloppy play uh, in the game. But if uh, if we do see big plays, it's usually going to be because somebody did not get in the right gap. Somebody did not hit the right call to make that adjustment. Dennis, uh, we've got Dennis Ackerman on the line with us here. Got to let you go. He's the host of the Believe in Raiders podcast. Definitely follow him on Twitter at Ackerman underscore Dennis. Raiders, Panthers, 1 p.m. kickoff, CBS. Uh, fellas, the 2020 season is here, finally. Uh, 
I, I can't wait. I, I literally can't wait. I, I don't even. I'm already planning what I'm going to eat on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm planning nap times around it. Like I, I'm just. I'm ready to rock and roll. So, Dennis, man, this has been uh, a pleasure having you on for this. Um, good luck Thank to you, you guys going through the season, and hopefully Thank we you. at least get a good game on Sunday. That's what the, the main thing I want. I just want a really good game and a Panthers win, but I really want a good game. So. <laughs> We appreciate you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It was great. I really enjoyed it. All Thank right, you. and that's our uh, that's our edition of the Believe in Panthers podcast uh, for this week. Heading into the Raiders uh, game here, we should have a short recap episode up for you guys early next week after the game is completed. Uh, for myself, Desmond Johnson, for Tyrone Poole, we will talk to you soon. Check us out on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.